So one of my wife's favorite moments as a parent is when our kids will mention to her a song or a particular, particular fashion trend, and she'll say, oh, children, you think that's new. You think that just started this year. That fashion trend has actually been around forever. Or, or we sang that song, or your grandparents sang that song, and, and you think that's new. Every generation thinks something is new when in fact that object or that fashion trend or that song is in fact very, very old. Uh, this week on social media, on Facebook, I put out the question, is there anything that kids and teenagers think is new but you know has actually been around for a long time and you all did not disappoint? Uh, you responded with, with all kinds of things. Uh, so things that are, are back in fashion now are those fanny packs you know those ones that your grandkids always made fun of you for wearing? That little fanny pack is, is kind of back in, back in fashion. The Doc Martin boots and the Birkenstock shoes, those are, those are coming back in fashion. Tie-dye has made a comeback this year, uh, so tie-dye is cool again. Phil Collins songs have made a comeback, so all of your Phil Collins music is actually cool again. Uh, it's good, good to be able to know that. There's... Um, Pretty much anything that I wear is, is not in fashion. Famously, as I've probably told you before, I'm still waiting for the jean shorts to come back around and be cool again. Uh, when Hurricane Katrina was moving toward New Orleans and we lived there and we evacuated, my wife famously left my jean shorts in New Orleans hoping they would go underwater. <laughs> and in fact, they did. Though, though this week is not a good time to make jokes about hurricanes in New Orleans, the way, the way, things, the way things are looking. I say all that to say this. Sometimes there's a feeling that something is being presented as new. Like, we've never seen this before. This is brand new. When, in fact, it's very old. It's been around for a long time. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 with me, and watch this unfold. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul says, Remember, just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him, as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now here's what's going on in this situation. The people that Paul is dealing with in Galatia, his opponents in Galatia that are causing trouble, they seem to be coming around and saying, hey, I know Paul is talking to you about faith in Jesus, but that's a new idea. If you really want to be made right with God, you need to get back to the law. Paul's throwing at you a new religion. He's throwing at you a new idea. You need to get back to the law. You need to get back to circumcision and living under the Old Testament law. And here's what Paul does. He says, you think that faith leading to salvation is new? I'll see your Mosaic law and I'll raise you the Abrahamic covenant. <laughs> what Paul does is, he says, you think this is new. I'm talking about faith that leads to salvation. You think this is new? Oh, no, no, this has been in, in style for a long time. This goes all the way back to Abraham. It was Abraham who in Genesis 15 has this covenant with God, and he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. Anybody in Vacation Bible School or little Sunday school seen that little Father Abraham song? Father Abraham has many sons. I won't sing it for you to uh, solve you, save you the trouble. But uh, the little Father Abraham song, who comes from Abraham? 
those who have been circumcised, those are of the Jewish people. That's how people thought of it. Paul says, what's it mean to be a child of Abraham? It means to be a person of faith. And Paul is doing something very interesting here where he is saying, I'm using an argument from Scripture because, don't miss this, up to this point in the story, up to this point in Galatians, Paul has presented salvation by faith in Christ primarily on the basis of personal experience. And I know this seems like a small point, but this is a big deal of what's going on in the book of Galatians. Up to this point, Paul has talked about his own personal story, his own personal experience. He's talked about the experiences that happened in Antioch. He's talked about the experiences that the Galatians have had. But now, here's the, here's the key. Now Paul is taking this presentation of faith in Christ and he's grounding it in the scriptures. Here's the point. Your personal experience with God is vitally important. It matters very much. But our hope is not in our experience. Our hope is in the word of God. So Paul takes, he says, your experience, what has happened to you, it matters. God works in our, way, in, in our lives in different ways. God worked in Nicola's life at Robber's Cave. Your story of trusting in Jesus, your story of faith is going to look different, but at the core, it has the same foundation. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God, Scripture, are not in competition. God works in our lives individually, but at the end of the day, we have the same foundation in Scripture. And Paul is laying this foundation for the people. Now look at verses 8 and 9. He continues this Abraham, this Abraham theme here. He says in verse 8 that the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify, there's our word for be made right, he would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Sometimes we talk about the very first gospel presentation in the, New, in the Bible being in Genesis chapter 3. And in fact, you do find that in Genesis 3 as God is pointing ahead to the one who will come and crush the head of the, of the serpent. Here it says that the gospel is preached in Genesis chapter 12. That when God calls Abraham to respond in faith and he says that in you shall all the nations be blessed, don't miss the significance there of the word nations. That is connected in Greek to the word for Gentiles. So what Paul is telling the people here in Galatia is you have often used the law, circumcision, marks of being the Jewish people. You've often used the law to divide Jews and Gentiles, when in fact God's purpose all along was to save both Jews and Gentiles. The law has been used to divide people. God's purpose all along was to bring us to salvation through faith in Christ, and the scripture has always looked forward to this, and those who have faith are those who are blessed. Hold on to that word blessed for just a minute because it's going to become extremely important in, when we get to the next verse. But here it says that we are going to be blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Our connection passage at this point is Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the famous hall of faith 
chapter in the New Testament where it takes all these figures from the Old Testament and talks about how they lived by faith. If you haven't read Hebrews 11 in a while, let me encourage you to go back and maybe pick that up this week if you don't have a Bible reading plan and you open the Bible and you're always a little uncertain where to turn. Hebrews chapter 11 would be a great place to turn this week. Hebrews chapter 11 verses eight and nine says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now there are some key words in there that you're gonna see throughout the passage this morning about inheritance and promise. What I want you to see right now, though, is that all of us who have faith in Christ, we have that origin story in Abraham here. And what's Abraham's story about? It's faith that leads to action. Notice, Abraham's faith doesn't lead him to sit around passively, does it? (laughs) Abraham had faith and he acted. The book of James in the New Testament says that if you claim to have faith, but you're not putting that faith into action, it's not true faith. Faith is dependence on God that leads to living for him. Abraham lived in faith, and he lived being able to look past his circumstances to know that God was at work in a way that he couldn't see right now. And man, isn't that a great gift to have in life? When you look at your circumstances, and they don't particularly look blessed at the moment, but in faith, you're able to say, God is not finished here. God is still at work, and I believe that he is going to fulfill every one of his good promises. And Abraham, as the one who had faith, was able to look ahead and say, God is not finished. Now, watch the contrast that Paul sets up here in verse 10. So in verse 10, We've, we talked about this promise to Abraham. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law, all those works of the law people, they are actually under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul is saying, you want to go back under the law? You want to force people to live by the law? To be under the law and not to keep it is to find yourself cursed. Now what's Paul doing here? He is setting up this incredible contrast between the way of blessing and the way of curse. (laughs) The way of God's promise to Abraham and this curse that comes with the law. And he's drawing this distinction to tell the people, don't go live under the law, that is the way of the curse. Live as people of faith because that is the way of blessing. And as Paul sets up this contrast, he begins to tie Old Testament passages together. And this was a form of interpretation that was so common in in the New Testament where you're looking for ways that the Bible connects together. I don't know about you. This This is personal. This may not be your story. But for me, Bible study just broke open in all of these amazing ways when my eyes were open to how pieces of the Bible were connected together, 
when I didn't feel like I was reading random verses or random stories, but you start to see the pieces connect together. I just remember even as a teenager and a college student, my love for studying scripture, my love for the Bible just exploded when you start to see those pieces fit together. And one of Paul's forms of interpretation as he begins to connect these, either making contrast or making comparisons. So he's made this contrast between cursed and blessed. Watch what he does in 11 and 12. He's gonna do the same type of thing. In 11 and 12, he says, now it should be evident that no one is justified before God. You're never going to be able to make yourself right before God on the basis of the law. Paul, how can you say that? Well, Bible verse. For the righteous shall live by faith. Now this verse from Habakkuk 2 that is used throughout the New Testament in several different places, this verse is foundational for Paul's understanding that how are you made right with God? It's by faith. And then look what he does in 12. He says, but the law, relying on the law, is not connected with faith. Rather, then he's going to draw from Leviticus 18, the one who does them shall live by them. Now watch what Paul has done. He's picked up two verses that end with almost exactly the same phrase. Habakkuk 2, the righteous shall live by faith. Leviticus 18.5, those who live under the law shall live by the law. And Paul says, which of these leads to life. Which of these leads to righteousness? It's faith, not law. Now, we're going to skip verses 13 and 14 because they are at the core, and we're going to come back to those verses, and we're going to end the sermon with those verses 13 and 14. So skip ahead with me to 15 and watch how Paul continues to develop this theme, and then we're going to come back and pick up those famous verses there. Verse 15, Paul says, okay, let me just give you a human example here. To give a human example, brothers, Even with a man-made covenant, so you make a will or a testament, you put together this document, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it, so no one changes it, or no one adds to it, adds extra requirements to it once it has been ratified. Now, verse 16, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring was the promise made, who is Christ. Now what's Paul done? He's gone back, and he's looked again at this promise that was made to Abraham, and he said, guys, the promise was never just about developing the Jewish people. The promise was never just about looking ahead to the law. What was the promise really looking ahead to? the Messiah, the Christ, the one who would come, the one who was truly going to be the offspring that would crush the head of the serpent, to Jesus. That's where all of this was pointing. In fact, verse 17, Paul goes on to say, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul, does not change or add to the covenant previously ratified by God with Abraham so as to somehow make that original promise void. Where does Paul get 430 years? 430 years, he's drawing that from the Exodus story, Exodus 12, verse 40, talking about how long the people were under bondage in Egypt. This is another way that Paul can remind them, hey, don't forget, you were rescued from Egypt before the law was given. 
The law didn't come until after that time had passed. When the law came, it didn't change God's promise. And it definitely didn't change God's promise to send a Messiah. That promise was definitely still there. So, verse 18, remember, you'll have to try to mentally connect Hebrews 11 from earlier with verse 18. For if the inheritance that was coming, the blessing that was coming was going to come by the law, then it would no longer come by a promise. It's either coming by promise or by law. But, Paul says, God gave it to Abraham by a promise. And friends, don't we know that God keeps his promises? That he is ultimately faithful. And God had promised to Abraham that he was made right with him through faith and that he would send the promised one the Messiah who would come and destroy sin and death. That was the promise. So then Paul, because he's really made his Galatian audience a little upset at this point, he's got to step back in verse 19. He's got to say, well, why do you have the law? Why all this section back here? Why not just skip from Genesis 12 and 15 straight to Matthew chapter 1? What's going on here? So verse 19, very simply, why then the law. And Paul says, it was added because of transgressions. Because of transgressions. Now there's a phrase that will make Bible scholars argue (laughs) about what exactly is Paul dealing with in this phrase, the law was given because of transgressions. It seems to have two sides to the coin, that it was given both so people would have their sin revealed to them and understand how God was going to deal with sin, not ultimately under the law, but pointing ahead to the one that would come as the one that would forgive sin. And so because Christ has not come, because the Holy Spirit had not come yet, the law was given to address the reality of sin. It was given because of transgressions, key phrase coming up, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. Paul's main point here is that the law and its role of dealing with sin was ultimately temporary. The law was put in place to help the people continue to look forward to Christ, to continue to look forward to what the Holy Spirit would do in God's people. The problem would be if you drove around in your new vehicle with your temporary tag, and you had been driving around with that temporary tag for years. Some of you may have this exact story, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But you've been driving around with the temporary tag for years, and the officer pulls you over and says, sir, ma'am, that tag is temporary. And you say, "Uh, no, actually, that's going to be my permanent tag. You see, that's, that's just gonna be the one I'm going to use. That's not the purpose of the temporary tag. It's to get you down the road so that you get the real tag that then you're able to actually live with. Actually, be Paul says the problem, Galatians, is you're trying to drive around, you're trying to live under something that was ultimately supposed to be temporary, and you're trying to make it permanent. When that temporary was just pointing ahead to the one who was going to come. Because, here's another reason the law was never meant to be permanent in that sense. It was put in place through angels, by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. What's Paul's point here? When Paul, sorry, when God gave the promise to Abraham 
he is speaking directly to Abraham about what's going to happen. When the law is given, it had long been tradition that the law was given to the people through angels, given to Moses, passed on to the people. So Paul says, just look at the law, look at the promise. Which one of those seems greater? The promise seems greater. Verse 21, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. So this idea here, are Moses and Abraham enemies? No, they're not enemies. They just have different functions. They just function differently in God's plan. They're not contrary to one another. For if a law had been given that could actually give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. There would be no need for a promised Messiah if the law could actually give life. But that was not its purpose. Verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, preparing us for the one who would come, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now the word imprisoned is just a teaser to hopefully get you excited about what is still to come in Galatians because Paul is going to use that idea of imprisoned and he's gonna develop that theme in the coming weeks but we're just gonna punt that for, for the following weeks. Here's what I want to do. I wanna take you back to verse 13 because remember we skipped over verse 13 when in fact it's probably the most famous verse in this entire section. It, it's the verse that summarizes everything that's going on. Where do we find salvation? Is it through faith or is it through the law? Verse 13. Paul says, Christ redeemed us. That's that beautiful New Testament word for purchased us, rescued us. He redeemed us. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If you have kids or grandkids who are really into reading, or maybe you're just into books. This is not just a book for kids. This is a great book for adults. Your kids probably need to be 9, 10, maybe just that age and above. But there's an incredible series of books called The Wing Feather Saga uh, by a gentleman named Andrew Peterson. Uh, but if you love to read or you have kids or grandkids that love to read, the Wean Feather Saga takes this concept from these verses and develops it over four different books and does it in this really beautiful story that tells some of this and, and tells it in a way that if you like uh, sort of like fantasy books or storytelling books, man, you're just going to eat it up. What's happening here with this idea that Christ became a curse for us? And specifically this phrase, cursed is everyone, who is hanged on a tree. Paul's picking up this idea from Deuteronomy chapter 21 that to be punished for a crime and to be hung on a tree was to be portrayed as one who has been cursed by God, who is cut off from the things of God. And remember, if you remember from Jesus' crucifixion story, they had to get the body off the cross before sundown. Because you didn't leave a body on the cross after sundown. That body had to be pulled down. When Paul's opponents looked at the death of Jesus, they saw a curse. They saw one who had been cursed by God. When those who lived by faith looked at the death of Jesus, what did they see? 
they saw the promise of God fulfilled. They saw the blessings of God being poured out on his people. Paul says in another place in the New Testament that the cross is going to be a stumbling block for people. Some people look at the cross and they see something that makes no sense. They see something where here's a teacher, a good religious teacher who was cursed, who was ultimately killed. Other people look at the cross and they say, that's my only hope. Left to myself, I have no hope to ever deal with sin and death in the world. But because of who Jesus is and what he did for me, he took the curse. He took what I deserve and he took it in my place. And who here has needed a curse breaker at some time in their life? Every one of us, right? My friend Mike Keybone, who is the new pastor at First Baptist Church of Lawton, uh, Bone recently pastored Cherokee Hills here in Oklahoma City, but he's kind of going back to his hometown area to, to pastor at First Baptist Lawton. Mike uh, is a Native American, Comanche, Kiowa, and Mike grew up in a home of generational curse of alcoholism. Unfortunately, like many Native American families, that was Mike's story, and he grew up with this curse of alcoholism in his family. And through those things that God loves to use, like cookies and Kool-Aid at Vacation Bible School, and an elementary teacher, and a high school sports coach that took interest in him, and a church that walked him through a childhood that was very difficult, Mike came to faith in Christ. And Mike's last name is Keybone. And he said, I always wondered what Keybone meant. And in the process of being a youth minister, Mike met this gentleman who said, I know what your name means. And he went back and he told them of this Kiowa story, of this great Kiowa chief who his name was changed from Big Bo to Keybone. And the reason it was changed is because Keybone Dai was a Kiowa phrase that meant stronger than death. And when Christians first came to the Kiowa people to tell them the story of Jesus dying and rising again to bring salvation, they couldn't find a word or a phrase to use to explain this concept until they learned the Kiowa phrase, Keybone Dai salvation stronger than death and Mike talks about he feels like the curse in his family was broken when he saw God's grace in that moment our friends at hope is alive addiction recovery down the road curse is broken every single day as people understand what Jesus has done for them I don't know what you've dealt with in your family if it feels like there are certain curses that have been passed down in your family, maybe the curse in your family is just this feeling of we've got to keep up our image. We've got to look good. We've got to pretend like everything is good on the outside so people won't know what's going on behind, behind closed doors. And, and this pain and this weight that you were never meant to live under on your own. Jesus said, I've taken all of that. Even if none of that is your story, guess what? Every one of us faces the curse of sin and the curse of death. And none of us can deal with that on our own. It's only what Jesus has done. Can I point you to a couple of beautiful verses in the Old Testament? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. 
Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Don't carry your griefs and sorrows around on your own. Jesus has taken those. Verse five, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Up on him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Can I just remind you of something that seems so simple, but, but hear me again this morning. God desires to bring peace and healing to your life that goes beyond anything you could ever imagine. And the reason that is possible is because Christ became the curse for us. He did this for us. 2 Corinthians chapter five. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Look at verse 14 and we're gonna wrap up here. Verse 14, Paul just takes all of these concepts and wraps them up in this bow. He says, so that in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Don't live under law when the promise has been given to those who have faith. What's our response this morning? Before I pray over us and dismiss us, what's our response this morning? Number one, the foundation have you trusted in Jesus for salvation? Where's your hope? At the end of the day, all of us face sin and all of us face death. Where is your hope? He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. What does that result in? It results in great humility, <laughs> this realization that I can never do that on my own, but it also gives great hope. The second thing is it produces a faithfulness to Christ. This is a really powerful concept in the New Testament. Faith in Christ for salvation produces faithfulness to Christ in how we live. My hope in salvation comes from Christ, and so I'm going to remain reliant on Christ for every good thing. And then finally, it creates a desire to share this good news with those who are living under the curse of sin. There's a good chance that you're hearing me this morning and you say, Owen, thank you for the reminder. I celebrate and I agree with everything you've said this morning. My, my hope is in Christ. I needed the reminder. I agree with that. Now let God send you out to share that good news with people around you. Because there are people around you who are carrying a lot of grief and a lot of sorrow and living under a lot of painful curses and there's good news in Jesus. Let me pray for us, and we're gonna wrap up. Father, I pray this morning for people who are watching at home, for people who are here in the room. God, sometimes we can be tempted to carry a weight that we were never meant to carry on our own. We were never supposed to find life under the law. The promise was always by faith. And so God, I pray that we would trust in Jesus. God, I pray that if there are people here who have trusted in Jesus, but they've been carrying around baggage and weight, 
They've been hiding because they don't want people to know what's going on behind closed doors or under the surface. God, I pray that they would find healing today. God, that they would reach out to someone, that they would talk with someone. God, that they would turn to you and cry out in prayer and in hope. And God, I pray that you would make us people who share this good news with the world around us. When we see people who are carrying a weight that they were never meant to carry, God, that we would be able to point them to Galatians 3.13, be able to point them to what Jesus has done for them. And God, I pray that we would leave here with greater humility and greater hope as a result of hearing your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.